Let's open up our Bible to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Um, yes, there's a lot in these first three chapters of Genesis. Uh, we refer to them quite a bit. But here, Genesis chapter 3, we'll read the whole chapter. Um, so before this, uh, chapter 1 covers the uh, creation of the earth and the plants and the animals and people. Uh, chapter 2 uh, covers uh, the forming of Adam from the, the, the dirt and also his wife Eve. Um, and they dwelt in the Garden of Eden, uh, having a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. And then we get to uh, chapter 3 uh, and verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he, being God, said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, Thou art cursed above all cattle, or um, animals, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I'll greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, 
because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So this here is the fall of mankind. They, uh, they were dwelling in a fairy tale. They were living in the garden of Eden uh, with a close one-on-one relationship with God and then they um, decided to reject his commandments and they were thrust, it says, driven out of the Garden of Eden. And they were cursed. There were curses there, which we just read. And, um, and what's, uh, what I find funny about human beings is we all want that Garden of Eden. We all want to live that fairy tale. It's like ever since this fall, mankind has been wanting to live back in that Garden of Eden away from the curses that are outlined in this chapter, um, which I've just read. But that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to, um, to actually submit to them, you know, uh, um, just accept, hey, these curses are in our life as a result of uh, what Adam and Eve did and to just submit to them and lead our life and ask the Lord to help us. And uh, um, praise the Lord he does, as it says there in um, verse 21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So he helped them. So that's what God wants. He wants to help. And, uh, and so here's this point where um, God so wanted a relationship with people, he formed them out of the, the ground. Uh, they dwelt in the Garden of Eden. They sinned. They rejected God and did things their own way. And, uh, okay, well, let's turn to Judges chapter 21. So uh, we won't read all of the book of Judges, of course, but I uh, do like the last verse of Judges. It's a wonderful summary. Um, Judges is, the book of Judges is about uh, God's chosen people, just as Adam and Eve were chosen by God. Uh, later on, he chose a people that he called Israel. And the book of Judges is about the goings-on of his chosen people, a people that he wanted to bless. And um, the summary of the whole book of Judges is here in uh, Judges chapter 21 and verse 25. And it said, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Um, and you read the book of Judges and it's a disaster. Uh, people are just flopping about doing things how they think's right and just getting far away from God, making mistakes, just like Adam and Eve did. There were commandments that God issued and they did things their own way. And uh, go to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, and one verse here, 12. Proverbs chapter 30, 
and verse 12. There is a generation or a people that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Right? So it says elsewhere that our righteousnesses or good works, our purity that we think we do, that we know better, and yet we are dirty. Um, it's, uh, it's like it's a disaster when people do things how they think they should do them instead of following uh, what God wants and looking to what God wants people to do. Then there is success. Um, and throughout history, and we can read all sorts of crazy things that people have done in their own wisdom, um, and uh, rejecting God and thinking they know better and how it's ended up, even in our own lives. I mean, there's instances in my life where I thought I knew better, right, doing this, and, yeah, there was the um, obvious result. And so that's why I said before, like, we follow the Bible. And there are so many other books out there. There's so many other ideas out there. And um, it's like we yearn to read these other things, uh, but the Spirit wants us to read this. This is the most important book you can have. And with time a constant thing, you know, like you have to set time aside to read the Bible, to find out what God's will is, and then that is at forefront of your mind uh, as opposed to what your will is or what you think's right. So the title of this talk is actually Christ's Sacrifice, okay? So these few passages I've read, verses I've read, just shows how, uh, how mankind is, their natural way is to destruction. But we're talking about today Christ's sacrifice, okay? And following what God wants us to do. Over to our First Corinthians chapter 15. And there's so much you can look into the happenings of Genesis chapter 2 and 3. And it may be that Adam had this great relationship with God and he didn't explain it properly to his wife Eve. It may be that he did explain it properly and Eve just thought she knew better. And that's why one of those curses was, you know, to, uh, to be, submit to the husband. It, there may be all sorts of things, but either way, both of them did what they thought was right or, or they, they knew was right, uh, even though they were taught otherwise. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20, so 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept or died. For since by man came death, referring to Adam, by man, Jesus Christ, came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order Christ, oh sorry, I'll stop at 22. So the point there is we have this difference between Adam and Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, as a result of Adam and what he did, we all go to the grave. But there's a different person called Jesus Christ where we're made alive. Down to verse 42. 
said, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, but it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is also a spiritual body. So And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. You know, that you can read elsewhere that uh, life was breathed into him. The last Adam, which refers to Jesus Christ, was made a quickening spirit, a spirit that makes alive. Uh, Howbeit, that was not first, which, was, which is spiritual, referring to Adam not being spiritual, but that which is natural. And after that, which is spirit, spiritual, being Jesus Christ. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Okay? So there's this difference here. And when we are born, we are born uh, under the curse of Adam. But uh, there's this later person, referred to the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who can rescue us, save us from that. Um, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners or far from God, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath to come. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The fact that he still lives uh, gives us a greater avenue for reconciliation. Verse 11. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Therefore, as by one man, referring to Adam, sin entered into the world, and as a result, death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. There's no knowledge of that sin. So the law, as we'll read, um, uh, allowed people to understand what sin is. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So Adam was actually a figure of him who was to come. But not as the offence, so also is the free gift. For if through the offence of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. I just love these examples that uh, Paul is writing about. Verse 16, And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offences unto justification. 
For if by one man's offence death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offence of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. It makes sense how it's put there. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Just so beautifully written. And we can understand that. And, and it, it makes sense. The law. The law wasn't a mistake. The law was there to teach people about sin. And it says here uh, that the offence might abound. That people might know how bad they are. <laughs> how they just fall so far short of God to define that gap between man and God. And when that gap is defined, it then gives a, a bigger picture of grace, how awesome grace is. If this gap is so big that cannot be crossed by mankind in all his purity and in all he, what he thinks is right, they're just little things, then the grace of God to bridge that gap is so much greater. And it's just beautiful how the Lord's planned it. And so that's, the law was so important to define that. To, to, to define, by extension, the grace of God. And, and it says there in verse 21 that uh, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's what we're talking about is Christ's sacrifice, the purpose of Christ's sacrifice and what Christ's sacrifice achieved. Okay? So let's jump to uh, Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. This is when uh, Israel was still in Egypt. And it's um, Exodus chapter 12. And there was one plague left, which was the, the killing of the eldest, eldest son of man and beast. And uh, here we have what's known as the Passover that was uh, implemented. And it's not uh, an almighty uh, holy word, Passover. <laughs> it comes from Passover. <laughs> so simple. And I love that. Even manna. Manna just means what is it? <laughs> so, uh, just, so here we look at the Passover, the, the first Passover, Exodus 12 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. So this lamb was important. Verse 11. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, or dressed, you know, ready, your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hands, hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night 
and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Something to remember. Verse 26. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered their houses, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. So this thing, this ordinance, this feast uh, of remembrance, to remember how the Lord passed over the houses of Israel um, during this time of, uh, well, it says elsewhere there was great sorrow in the land of Egypt because of all the people that died, and, uh, um, but Israel was saved from that. And it refers to the blood, the blood on the doorpost. Blood was important. That's life. Life is in the blood. Uh, That's why blood needed to be shed uh, for sin, because sin leads to death. And so you you, you shed blood, which is life, to make an atonement for that sin. And, uh, And so we're talking today about Christ's sacrifice. And as we know, he shed blood. And after this, as they walk through the wilderness... There was the law given, which we've referred to, to define sin and therefore define grace. And there was a tabernacle that was built, uh, and which ultimately became a temple in Jerusalem when Solomon built it. And so this is a major part of God's plan uh, with this, when, uh, when the Passover was implemented and it was a type. And so we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where it says quite plainly, if you're wondering what the link is. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. It says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And that's why we don't uh, sacrifice animals and so forth. We don't need to follow the Passover anymore because Christ, i.e. Jesus Christ, is our Passover and who was sacrificed for us and ushered in the New Testament era, which we live now. So it says quite plainly, this thing that was put in place back in Exodus, the Passover and the thing that was kept year after year on the 10th day of the first month, Year after year, they celebrated the Passover. Um, That's Jesus Christ is our own Passover now. That's why they had to do that back then, because Jesus Christ wasn't on the earth. Jesus Christ hasn't been sacrificed. So Jesus Christ has been sacrificed for us. It's a personal thing, and we'll remember that later with uh, the communion service, that he was sacrificed for us, and he is our Passover. So the wrath of God, which we read before, will pass over us. His blood was shed 
and uh, figuratively we've been washed in his blood. So he, it passes over us and we live. Um, Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 1. Hebrews is a great book to explain uh, how the old fits in with the new and how it's a shadow of things to come. So we'll read a couple of passages in Hebrews today. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 1. Then, verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary, or that worldly tabernacle, that worldly temple. Even though the ordinances were divine, they were inspired by God, given unto the people by the voice of angels. Verse 2, For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and the Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. And if you want detail of that, you can read it in the Old Testament. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. And into the second, which is the holiest of all, went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood. So there was shedding of blood required, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest or was not um, was inhibited while the first tabernacle was yet standing. Okay, and, then, and there's this type, there's a veil, like a curtain that stops people from getting in there. Um, and it was only the priest, the high priest, that could go into the, uh, the holiest of all, and he could only do that once a year. And he could only do that if there was shedding of blood. Uh, he would shed blood for himself and also for all the people. But there was a barrier uh, for people to get into the holiest of all. And what it's saying here is while that temple existed, and it existed uh, right up until 70 AD, while that existed, there's no one who could get into the holiest of all. Now, there's a loose little uh, thing there, but we know that the Holy Spirit was poured out before 70 AD and people still carried on their other things elsewhere. But um, once it was destroyed completely, there was no way of following the, uh, the, the ordinances of the Old Testament. There was a barrier there uh, with this veil. Um, go to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. And verse 33. Mark chapter 15, and there'll be a little reference here. Actually, this is the scripture that I'm um, hoping to uh, alleviate any concern that you may have had with my last statement. Uh, Mark chapter 15 and verse 33. And this is uh, Jesus Christ. He's on the cross. And it says in verse 33, 
And when the sixth hour, which is midday, was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So it was an eclipse, really, for three hours. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He became sin, and uh, God forsook him. And some of them that stood by, when they heard it, said, Behold, he calleth Elijah. And one man ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar, and put it on a reed, and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice, and gave up the ghost. He died, and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. He witnessed something amazing when Jesus Christ died. And at that time, it says here, the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. That barrier that we read about in Hebrews chapter 9 is removed at this point to allow access into the holiest of holies. But like I said before, this temple stayed up until 70 AD, so people stitched it back up again, didn't they? Um, It was torn in half here, and people decided they wanted to stitch it back up and provide that barrier. But it wasn't God's plan. It wasn't God's plan that there should be a barrier. Uh, In New Testament times, uh, through the Spirit, it should be open for people. So we go back to Hebrews chapter 10. And that's the problem we still see today. People try to stitch up that barrier, thinking that, oh, I, I don't, I'm not worthy, or um, how, why would I, or there's a, the, the flip side is, oh, what's God done for me? You know, why do I need to go into the holiest of holies? Why should I follow God, or uh, um, so forth? Or I've done so many bad things. How can God fix that up? You know, uh, we, we, we stitch that barrier back up, but God wants it con- uh, open for people to enter. Hebrews 10 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us for after that he had said before. So I'll just stop there, even though it's mid-sentence. The Holy Ghost, this is something that uh, we don't realise. When we're filled with the Holy, Holy Spirit and we speak in tongues, it's actually a witness for us of our righteousness. It's a reminder to us that, hey, look, I can have access into the holiest of holies. You know, like, um, I'm going to unstitch that veil then <laughs> so that I can get in there. You know, it's a witness that we have with us all the time. Verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Um, now, there is, now where remission of sins, now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. All right? 
Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And in a wonderful way, uh, his flesh was torn. Uh, He was whipped and beaten and his flesh was torn. And uh, that's like his veil was ripped. This veil was torn as well. So that we can have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus that was shed, that life that he gave by a new and living way. We read some scriptures earlier about that, this new and living way that's been consecrated for us, that uh, by Adam came sin and death, but by the second Adam, that Jesus Christ, came righteousness and life where we're now alive. And, uh, and uh, we, no, we no longer live under the law where we're constantly reminded of sin. We live in a time of uh, the Spirit and uh, saved by grace and righteousness and just such positivity. And we're all guilty of it. We get dragged down with the things around us and negativity. Um, we can't help it. <laughs> we stitch that veil back up again, don't we? But the Lord wants us to have a positive mindset to look up. Our redemption draweth nigh. We're alive, quickened, that quickening spirit made alive. Uh, John chapter 14, penultimate scripture. John 14. John chapter 14 and verse 26. John chapter 14, and we have here in verse 26, Jesus Christ speaking, and it says here, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace. See, peace. There's not much peace when we're very negative about things. He wants to leave peace with us. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, it doesn't come from the ground, it comes from above, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away. Right? Jesus is saying that he must go away. It says elsewhere that he goes unto his father. Oh, no, it says it in the same verse. (laughs) Um, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. So Jesus here is speaking about the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, that word comfort, providing comfort, peace and so forth. And the only way that Comforter or the Holy Ghost can be given to people is if he goes away. And he goes unto his father. And the way he goes unto his father is that he dies, but then he is resurrected. Okay? So he's raised up and he goes unto his father. And then after that, this comforter can be given unto a people. And we go to Acts chapter 2 to finish up. Verse 1. Take a few verses out of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost, so Pentecost comes from the Greek for 50 or 5, 
and uh, that's 50 days after Jesus died. So if he was three days in the grave, he walked on the earth uh, for 40 days. They, they were praying. They must have been praying for about a week for this promise of the comforter. Comes up to 50, the day of Pentecost, when it was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven because they come for the feast of Pentecost. Excuse me. And they witnessed this. They saw the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the comforter as we read before. They saw that and they saw these people, about 120, that started speaking in tongues. Um, Down to verse 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt or they were confused saying one to another, what meaneth this? We're hearing all these tongues and people glorifying God. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand. Verse 13. Others mocking said these men are full of new wine. So they certainly weren't being taught anything, were they? Verse 14. But Peter, standing up, you could add there, standing up full of the Holy Ghost, um, with the eleven, lifted up his voice, And said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, or nine o'clock in the morning. Go to verse 32. And he draws upon uh, prophecies, some obscure prophecies, to explain what has just happened. Verse 32. This Jesus... Hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, alive, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, that comfort we read in John, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens. That's important. David's dead. He's asleep at the moment. He's not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye crucified, who shed his blood, who died on that cross, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? How can we be saved? Uh, How can we be a part of salvation? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the solution. This is the new way the new covenant, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being baptised by obedience um, of the king, of, uh, by obedience of the commandments of the Lord. And it's only came after 
Jesus' sacrifice. After the law was fulfilled, he says elsewhere that it is finished. The way has now been opened up to be into the holy, to enter the holiest of holies. And he wants us to do it confidently um, and with boldness. Uh, yes, that wasn't the last scripture. I do want to read Romans chapter 6. Explains it very well here. I actually had it on the list halfway back, but I missed it. So we'll read Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptised into Jesus Christ, were baptised into his death. That's why baptism is important, as we heard in testimony, by full immersion, baptised into his death. Verse 4. Therefore... We are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We have a new life now. Uh, We have new priorities. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. These logics, it makes sense. Uh, The likeness of his death, baptism, So therefore we look forward to and hope for the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. We don't actually have to get crucified ourselves. In fact, uh, some people do that, um, and it just doesn't give God the glory. Um, That the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Makes sense too. If people that are are dead, they can no longer sin. It's completely impossible. And so by a type, we are dead in Christ. So it's impossible for us to sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the power of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, the type of baptism, uh, the type of being washed in his blood. We're free. His wrath passes over us, uh, that, uh, that we are righteous in his eyes, that we're actually dead to sin in his eyes. Uh, we no longer live to sin. There's this separation between what our, what our carnal body does and what the spirit does. It's just a, an amazing picture, an amazing plan, amazing um, uh, thing that the God's created in his kingdom. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we know we've got the Holy Spirit when we speak in tongues, that, uh, that we look forward to, if all these things have happened, the likeness of his death, and uh, we live in Christ now, in the same way, in the likeness of his resurrection, we look forward to us being raised up to meet him in the air, uh, where there'll be a joy unspeakable, uh, where we can dwell with him forever, shedding this, uh, this vile body that we carry around with us now.